All right, welcome to Gallcast. I have a kind of a screwed up voice because I'm getting over being sick. And uh, Brian O'Gara is taking a little hiatus, uh, just trying to get things in their life together. And um, uh, they will be back at some point in the future. Until then, we're going to have my good buddy, Rinhun Unosagatan, uh, as my temporary co-host. Introduce yourself, bud. Hey, everybody. Uh, so I'm Rinhund uh, Rinosagaton, and name means Rhinehound, Seeker of Mysteries. Uh, <laughs> so I've been, been doing the whole golf ball thing for about a year now, officially, almost, almost a year. Uh, prior to that, I was in the, you know, the general Celtic sphere. I did the, my little foray into Norse heathenry, other stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a member of Totogalation of Mantelon Bolgon and in the process of being <laughs> inducted into uh, Tia Franca's Calcedo, the Frankish heathenry tradition as well. Yeah, I heard about, heard about the hiatus going and uh, Articatus reached out, was like, hey man, do you want to come do this? I was like, yeah, absolutely. I love Gallcast. I love it. Wow. So, yeah, man. Yeah, um, you know, they're, they're going through uh, something I went through a little while ago, which is another reason why the, the last episode was uh, so late and um, on the top, I just feel like a lot of us as in golf hole have kind of had to go through that uh, that heathenry phase. I know I did for a little bit too. Um, I mean, it's just, it's more continental now than straight up Norse heathenry, but I, I, I've just noticed a lot of times it does it does tend to be a common phase that we go through. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that a lot. That's that a lot of the people have done that. I think one of the only ones I know that didn't was uh, Branos. Yeah, yeah, Branos was a different story. Um, it's like here's 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 my 18 druid orders oh golf ball <laughs> hey whatever works man sorry um we're all we're all dads here so we're, we have like children in and out i, I have all yeah. or i have four of my five that are kind of hovering <laughs> around me asking me things. yeah i think Stuck between three of us there's like six children so <laughs> yep right uh, <laughs> so we are uh, wrapping up our, our, our little series on uh, Oh My Gods, and we're ending it with um, spirits. And uh, um, for that, we brought in our our friend. Reno Taurus. Reno Taurus, yeah. Yeah, the pronunciation on that one can be a little uh, questionable for some people, so I absolutely get the, the hesitation on the second. Yeah, it's Reno Taurus Folson, which is uh, the Bull of the Rhine, Son of Full. Um to very important deities in my personal praxis. So that's where the name comes from. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, tell us a little about yourself there. Um, I am a uh, Gaulish polytheist. I have been for uh, probably coming up, up on a, about a year now. Um, I, do, I joined TG back in November, but I've actually been reading your blog, uh, Ardo, since probably about... Yeah, about April of last year, which was kind of my uh, my gateway into it. Um, for a long period of time, because uh, I'm originally from Switzerland, I was searching for uh, a polytheism that would uh, accompany my cultural uh, heritage, uh, just being from Switzerland. <laughs> I'd been a, a Norse pagan for a long period of time, but I found that that wasn't... Uh, agreeing with me as much as i wanted it to oh sorry my daughter just yeah. uh 
stubbed her her glute on the door. Um, so I, I pretty got impressive. a bit of a oh, yeah, she's gets her accident proneness from me. Um, but I'd uh, found a, a connection with uh, your blog, and I started incorporating uh, Gaulish polytheism, uh, which eventually led uh, the more heathen side of my practice into uh, more continental. As you guys were just talking about, everyone has that phase. Hi. Yes. Uh, half of my life is that phase. <laughs> and uh, what uh, you mentioned last time, uh, Ardo, on the, the podcast is my main foray is into the Almani and the Swebi, but I am also a member of uh, MB, um, uh, Montelon uh, Bolgoy, which uh, what Rinhun mentioned earlier. So I also dabble a bit in the, the Belgic and the Helveti. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, yeah. When, when you, when I first met you, I was extremely flattered just because the, the whole blog thing was, uh, it was just like a little fun project for me. I didn't, you know, I wasn't expecting, um, anyone to, for it to really resonate with anyone. Like, but, uh, I wasn't yeah, expecting you know, the fanboys to come out. Yeah. <laughs> I think you <laughs> called me Senpai when we first met. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, Whoa, Senpai. No, <laughs> I had that precise moment. <laughs> But uh, the reason I started it is like, I didn't initially want to start a blog. I wanted to just find the information myself, but uh, there was nothing for, for, cause I'm Swiss on both sides. You know, my mom's side is from Zurich and my, my dad's side is from Valden. Um, so uh, like there, there was really nothing. So I just had to just do my own research and I just kind of put it out there and yeah, it, it, um, it seems to have worked out for us. Um, I think there's a, a big desire for learning um, from the more, central europe um you know in the heathen sphere as well when i wanted to branch out into a more local uh custom there was just absolutely nothing so i had to roll up my sleeves and do a lot of the <laughs> digging myself and so i think what really inspired me is that i wasn't going to be the only one doing something similar so seeing a blog exactly. like that publishing that work and that's something for any polytheist out there that's digging into a very specific very local very unknown custom is that you have no idea how inspirational you are to other people who are attempting to do the very same. That's why work like that is so important. That's how I felt when I found a TFA. And I was like, huh, this clicks, it works. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is it's like the natural continuation of what I was already doing. And it makes so much sense. And it just clicked in my head. I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. And I started talking to Eric, uh, the guy that started TFA wonderful wonderful person and so it's been really really cool to go down that road too right on, right on. all right well let's get to the uh, uh the topic at hand which is uh spirit and spirit work <laughs> and just working with spirits i guess you know t typically you know we we usually like work with like deities but like uh, spirits are and i don't want to use the, the I, I don't like using the word like minor deity but that's kind of what spirits are in a way is a, a minor form of, of divine um, and um, and the the previous two episodes of uh, you know the the gods and um, the ancestor and hero veneration kind of fall under that that spirit uh, work as well. Yeah, for sure. So, the thing, so I don't like to use minor either. I think I think uh, more localized is a little better. Yeah, that's what I like to use is more yeah. localized uh, with like smaller spheres of influence, basically. It's, that's but how the, that's how i do that's how i do like the 
that hierarchy that nobody likes to talk about. <laughs> yeah, you've like, you've you've hit on it pretty well. Um, I think yeah. a, a big tenant is that, at least in terms of building blocks, the Dewai, the uh, spirits of the land, and as well other more mythological spirits um, like fairies, dwarves, and gnomes, whatever you want to call them. Um, they are all essentially made of the same stuff. You're just dealing with degrees of magnitude, I want to say. And then, like you said, it's not necessarily a power thing, but maybe more of a reach thing. You know, uh, the Dewey that were venerated throughout a large <laughs> swath of land are going to have more influence than those of a one particular grove or one particular spring. Um, and I think it's really important that you mentioned territory and locality because quite frankly that's a lot of times what spirits at least spirits of the land are it's the uh the spirit of the place and it makes sense that would logically be tied to said place yeah exactly i think you guys summed it up great yeah and i, I yeah lo localize is a way better word than than, than minor <laughs> gotcha <laughs> Um, in the the little bit of research I've done, uh, a common form of spirit of spirit work is uh, dealing with uh, household spirits, um, spirits that kind of protect and uh, maintain the order of the home. Mm -hmm. uh, I know one thing I looked up briefly before yesterday was um, uh, in the. Uh, it was briefly, so I might be getting this wrong, but I know in like uh, Swiss folklore, there's kobolds. Yes. <laughs> not the D&D &D race. It has nothing to do with tiny little lizard men. No, uh, no. Are you sure? Because it should. It should. I'll go back in time and I'll let them know. But <laughs> It's like these are now lizard people. But you were saying about – I'll let you talk about kobolds because I have plenty of stuff to add on that. So I'll let you talk about it first because I feel like we're going to cover oh. a lot of the same ground. Oh, that's that's honestly. I just I looked over them briefly, especially <laughs> since. Um, <laughs> okay, it's like I just kind of saw they were there and was like, "I'll bring it up and see see where Reno goes." Yeah, there's a there's a huge yeah. thing with uh, you know household spirits. Uh, we have the, the the Romans had a big big thing with uh, their household deities. We see it over in the Norse as well with uh, you know the Husvitir, which is the more modern neo pagan interpretation, but the spirit of the house. Um, there's Great and wonderful book out there about uh, the different spirits. Um, I'll I'll write it down somewhere because I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, but in Swiss mythology, uh, we do have uh, we have kobolds. Um, what a kobold is? It is it is small, almost like a like a nissa from Scandinavian mythology. A small being, oftentimes dimin diminutive in size, oftentimes non-corporeal so it can present as a gust of wind or mischievousness so if things start flying off your shelf you know you have a kobold and a kobold is the spirit that inhabits the house it is, does not necessarily belong to the structure of the house so the way a kobold works is that there is actually a, a capturing that has to occur um so the kobold is a spirit from outside that wanders inside and will be helpful and sometimes a little mischievous, never malicious or harmful, but you can convince it to be on your side by naming it. Um, some traditions go from giving it a name to guessing its name. Um, so if you are able to capture 
the kobold and uh, by giving it a name or figuring out its real name, then you establish a bond between the two of you. And we have detailed records of shepherds in the Swiss Alps leaving out bread, uh, cheese, milk, and uh, in more modern incarnations like uh, the cartoon Pumukul, which is about the kobold and his master, um, chocolate. So it very much figures into praxis. You know, you leave small things out for the kobold and the kobold in return. It's not like you can give him commands or them commands. They just pick up the slack. You know, you may come home and you may notice uh, the oven's, you know, clean or uh, the load of laundry takes just a little bit less time to do or, oh, man, clean up one really quick today. And just with house Another great thing is uh, in terms of protection. Um, so I uh, had a falling out one time with someone who was uh, a bit more magically inclined than I was at, uh, I like to say, I am not a person who participates in a lot of uh, magical things. A lot of mine is very more uh, spiritual. Um, but I, I had a falling out with this person. And at the same point in time, I never felt any sense of danger or dread because I have a very strong bond with the kobold in my house. You know, some folks may call it a house spirit, but you know, we have coffee together every day. He's a stand-up little dude. Um, so I had absolutely no dread at all. I'm like, whatever it is, we just bounce right off that. Yeah, he's about this big, and he's currently resembled because uh, just like with a with a an altar, you know, you might feel inclined to put up <laughs> a small area. Um, mine is uh, represented by this tiny little uh, tiki souvenir um, that we found in. <laughs> that my daughter kind of gravitated towards. And so, uh, yeah, I have a little, uh, little kobold represented by a tiki statue. And the kobold really kind of bridges into the next thing is that a lot of things we may consider mythological are spirits of the land or spirits of places. So uh, the big ones from Switzerland, and I speak again from a Swiss perspective because that's where I'm from. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier today, but I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm uh, Switzerland. I was born and raised there. I'm it. I'm the whole country of Switzerland. Um, but the big ones prominent there <laughs> are uh, you have gnomes, dwarves, elves, mermaids, and giants. Those are the big uh, ones and what I, strikes me as very interesting in Swiss folklore is that the stories go about fifty-fifty on the spirits being corporeal, so you know, assuming human shape that one can touch, and the other half of the stories they are distinctly described as gusts of wind or even personified mountains and avalanches. I have to put in an Elsa braid. <laughs> yes that's that's actually something pretty cool because i remember you and i had talked about this at one point was it was the giants really that were these big like forces of nature like the avalanche and stuff like that something along those lines mm -hmm. there's a um an origin story of the swiss national flower which is also the austrian national flower uh the edelweiss there's an origin story of that being um that the Switzerland used to be covered by ice. And now part of this is cultural memory from the ice age. Um, and it being covered in ice was in fact the work of ice giants, which are very, very popular in Swiss mythology. And one of the giants is an avalanche and his brother is the glacier. And they have another brother who is the snowstorm. And these three giants who 
their names differ. Um, sometimes the giants have, you know, very, very Latin names like Gargantua. Sometimes they have silly names like Rubensal, which means the one that counts all the turnips. So the names vary, depends on who's telling the story. But they had completely covered Switzerland with ice. And as such, the Sunbeam Elves, who traveled down on the rays of the sun, um, came and melted away the ice and freed Switzerland up for the inhabitants so that the Gaulish tribes could move in and populate the area. And after the battle between the Sunbeam Elves, when they had banished the giants to the peak of the mountains, which is why the mountains are still snow-capped, uh, they became so drained of power, they had to assume a corporeal form, and they were so weak, the only form they had left to take was it, huh? Thank you. The only form they had left to take was that of trees, um, of glens and the queens, the royalty of the Sunbeam Elves actually assumed the form of the Edelweiss. And it is highly illegal to pick Edelweiss. Um, it's seen as very, very bad luck to do so because you are essentially disturbing the spirit of the place. And even people who, you know, don't believe the folktales of this have great respect for the Edelweiss. I'd compare it almost to the, the Blue Bonnets in Texas, if you want to relate to that one and so i can relate to that a lot i don't think it's illegal to pick blue bonnets though yeah but people get really uppity at you when you do yeah it's it's real real culturally not cool we'll Mm -hmm. go roll around in them and take pictures all the time for the instagram gotta do it for the gram gotta do it for the gram anyway but it's real weird when you start picking them and people get a little upset about it well, in Switzerland, it makes sense because you are picking the fairy royalty who literally gave their lives to defeat the frost giants. So in that sense, it makes sense. But it does tie back into earlier comments that you made with a lot of the spirits being local to the place or the area. So if you know that there's Edelweiss there, there can be an attribution to the Sunbeam Elves. And we also have... Uh, in Switzerland, the gnomes and the dwarves. Now, the gnomes and dwarves are a little bit different than you may have a conventional idea of them. Uh, The dwarves are seen as generally good-natured, small, funny little people that uh, live in mines and caves. And tracks so far. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they are (laughs) not the same as the uh, ones from Norse mythology that are malicious they're generally good-natured. In fact, um, Swiss culture even goes so far to say that uh, it was the dwarves of the mountains that invented the flintlock pistol um, so that we could defend our uh, territories. Um, it's just one of the many sayings. Uh, of course, we do know who actually invented the flintlock pistol, but there's no saying they that they, they didn't have some help from some dwarves. Yeah, or at least the inspiration. It could have very well been a unity between... Uh, the spirit of the place, and someone who went to work there frequently or just happened to pass through. Um, Gnomes, on the other hand, are the more stereotypical dwarves, the gold-mongering, kind of really, really uh, black-eyed and and aggressive little guys that live underneath the earth, which is very different than in the mountains. Um, And, yeah, that's, again, part of their domain. I forget what they're called, but uh, up in the Alps, they're supposed to be like these little, um, they're small, they're, they're probably in the same like 
you know, uh, family as the gnomes and dwarves, but like they're these hairy little big footed like ah yes. Those are the, yeah, the Berengazi from Berengazi, the Italian part of the Alps. They are lovely. They're like little yetis, and they have huge feet. Um, think of it like Bigfoot had a kid with a dwarf. Um, same thing, you know, hurtful, harmful. Um, but the really important thing I want to touch on is that a lot of the names, the labeling of these spirits is almost very arbitrary because you will find similar legends in Ireland and, and Switzerland with very different labelings very different groupings because you know, the spirits of place are just as diverse as as the dewoy are just as diverse as the gods putting them into a box and assigning this one function which more modern storytellers are want to do is really not beneficial or honest to them either and so that's why I want to touch on that you know if the spirits that you experience in a place where you are or the spirits of legend you have heard are different then that's okay um just how different land and different uh, countries have different cultures and different mm, customs, so too will the spirits of the land be, be different. Even if we worship the, the same gods, they may present differently in different places. You know, Epona in mm, southern or northern Italy would be very, very different than Epona in Kansas, for instance, um, just in regards to the interaction and then the people that are interacted with. Yeah, exactly. And um and to kind of tie things back to uh Gaulish, that there are um Gaulish specific deities, but like if you were to uh look into them, they do kind of fall into these kind of common um archetypes, if you will. Um uh obviously Gauls had the Gaulish people had giants, they had dragons, they had um I'm I'm looking up uh the list of them because I didn't do it. it uh, Quick, quick disclosure i woke up very late for this today so i'm a little unprepared so excuse me for that guys <laughs> that's fine um, yeah it, it happens to everybody and we have these these list of archetypes and and viewing the gods just as archetypes is is highly reductive um although some people choose to go about it that way of their praxis and if that works for them that's cool but it just goes to attest that even so, they're, they're not all the same. You know, you can have Tyrannus and Thor and Donar and Jupiter all in the same room, and they're not the same guy just because they do similar things. The same way you can have, you know, <laughs> four different dwarves from all over the world that are not <clears throat> going to be the same. Thinking that all dwarves can be interacted in this one way is also a little bit, I want to say, reductive. Exactly. Yeah, and I, and I, I don't, I didn't want to use the word archetype, but it was the first word that kind of popped in my head. Well, it is kind of a hot button issue in a lot of polytheist communities, and oftentimes when we deal with uh, folks who uh, who synchronize practices, you know, who may have deities from one pantheon and another, that's a big fear that arises: is is syncretism and the reduction thereof. And just the same can happen with local spirits and, and land spirits. You know, if you choose to say, "Oh, well, those folks just don't get dwarves," you may be missing the point that the dwarves there are different, or the dwarves. The, or the relationship that those people have with dwarves are different. Yeah, exactly. And um, I've uh, so uh, in Gaulish, <laughs> the uh, the the name for uh, uh, spirits of the house would be tegatis, and then there's uh, um, there's uh, kaitatis, which is four spirits. Um, uh, uh, 
Gortatis, Gortiatis, which is the spirits of the garden, and the things kind of go on and on, and and, and uh, I, I I'm sure there are sources that will uh, back up these <clears throat> these these uh, these various spirits, and um, I know f- uh, for uh, BMG I wrote a uh, article on uh, the Duzioi, uh, which was a lot it was very interesting it was a lot of a lot of fun to to to, to do that and it was in kind of like how we've been talking about uh, these various swiss spirits they they are um they they choose to be corporeal but typically they are more ethereal like they're um like a, a, a gust of wind is, is uh on, I, I think is one of the roots of their name duzioi um mm-hmm. it, was, it was like a like a breath they're like a phantom almost um and honestly the uh, when i was researching them I did a uh, divination session, session to try to contact one, which I also did some um, protection stuff because uh, they're also notorious for being um, uh, a little bit above mischievous and actually borderline malevolent. So, uh, but uh, when I was trying to uh, do this uh, divination session, um, I had a candle lit, and uh, the the second I started talking to this thing, all of a sudden, like. Uh, the candle flickered as this like someone was like went on it and it was uh it was interesting like yeah uh it 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 was it was really interesting uh obviously like nothing came from it and i i believe the um the tegotatis uh of um of my home are um fairly powerful because i i live in the pacific northwest and we are going through another batch of wildfires thanks to the heat wave and uh but we went to this last year we actually were considering uh evacuating because it was getting really close but there was one night where i looked outside and i saw like these um what looked like shadowy little little kids uh running around the house and then you know and next thing i I found out that the fire was taken care of so i i've had i've had my experience with various uh various spirits around here myself well and from a from a to use a heathen term in the shared personal gnosis sphere that ties in exactly with how they're described diminutive in stature mischievous i mean it goes to show that you know even a more gaulish interpretation um has similar interactions but again the, the deities that you may have been dealing with may have been a bit more on the aggressive side and that's just different relationships with different ones mm-hmm. i love yeah. that yeah Something similar for me is, uh, so in 2017, when Hurricane Harvey came through Houston, uh, the road I lived on uh, in the suburbs would flood all the time, okay? It could rain for like two minutes, my whole road's flood, okay? So Hurricane Harvey came through and just dumped like a year and a half worth of rain on us in like two days. I don't know if, I don't know if you had been in the area <clears throat> when that No, happened. I had not lived here yet. Oh, oh, dude! It was it was it was a nightmare <laughs> for everybody. Um, so my the my street cleared the whole whole time. Uh, dumped like a year's worth of rain on us, and it's my whole street was clear. Everybody there was perfectly safe. Uh, the road, the main road, flooded to like thigh deep, so I had to walk across the street to go go to like the family dollar that was open. You know. Mm-hmm. So I'm trekking through like thigh deep water. It's crazy. It's 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 insane uh, how that happened because 
our power would go out all the time, internet doesn't work, all that. The whole time that everything was going on. Um, it was a very, very dark, dark time for Houston. And we were fine. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's interesting to think about that. Mm. Now that this is the view that I have to look back on that and go, oh, okay, yeah, it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Spirit of the place ensuring that the place stays the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Had, you know, obviously had a dog in the fight. That's really, really cool. Um, wish I had a, a similar uh, awesome experience, um, but the closest thing is is that uh, I I have a like a miniature sacred grove in my backyard. It's this big old oak tree. Absolutely love it. It's where most of my ritual stuff happens. And in order to make peace with the spirits of the land, um, when I cultivate the land, and by that I mean when I mow the lawn, like every dad does on Saturday, when I mow the lawn, I make sure to leave a barrier outside of the lawn that I do mow up against the fence where the grass grows, grows long and tall. There is a dedicated corner of the yard with a, uh, a thistle tree that I, I don't touch. Um, I let the grass there wither up and I let it grow long. And even though it looks a little strange, it's kind of my sort of uh, leaving that land unclaimed for the spirits to do as they wish. And on the cultivated land, in order to appease the spirits of my yard, um, we have built a little uh, fairy garden. Now, fairy gardens are very much a, a, an Irish tradition, though we do them in Switzerland as well. And I know there's some debate on that, whether or not being a, a closed praxis in that regard. But I do want to open up the Swiss interpretation of fairy gardens to whoever wants to do them. And I think Ardo's with me on that. So if you want to do the Swiss interpretation, which is, you know, you're going to erect the stereotypical fairy garden um, and make sure that you construct it like a regular town. You know, you have all the houses facing inward and then create like a center, a meeting spot for them. And uh, on festival days or days when I give large offerings outside, they'll get something as well. So um, on my wedding day, uh, they got glazed donuts on uh, the most recent uh, ritual I did for the summer solstice. They got all of the fat from uh, the meat and they got uh, like a glass of milk, just something to keep in harmony with the spirits. Because if I look out for them and I give them the respect that they are due, nothing will befall me. And so far that's proven to be absolutely true. The same thing though, is to be said when, uh, when I do a ritual outside, you always have to kind of reclaim the space a little bit. And so what I'll always do is I have a very specific procedure I go through where I will reclaim the space every time. And I will tell the spirits of the land, the kobolds, the fairies, uh, you know, the whites, whatever you want to call them. Um, that I'm currently going to be conducting a ritual in this space. And if they bear any ill intent towards me, that they should vacate the premises until I allow them back in. And that kind of mutual respect seems to have gone a long way for them. Yeah. And that's, that's a, a, a common in my practice as well. And maybe not specifically what you've done, but it's that showing respect. Um, for me, I, I always make an offering to the, uh, to the spirit of the sake, you know, especially if I'm outside, I, I make an offering to, spirit of the area the the space because i have a little um i have a little uh uh, offering area outside actually i have two of them if you consider my fire pit um 
and uh, I, I usually leave like uh, I, I have a, a, some gems and stuff inside. I kind of leave out there. It is kind of like a, kind of kind of a gift, kind of a hey, uh, you know, um, you know, I'm I'm honoring you in this way with I, I have like your know, bloodstone and amethyst and and things like that. I I, I will always you know. Not so much since I found out I am diabetic, but I, I typically will leave like a wine offering and spirits. Re, uh, the spirits I've worked with have really liked wine. Who Especially doesn't? Doozy, I doozy, I love wine. <laughs> right? Who doesn't like wine? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, but it's it's it, for anyone listening that wants to try to work with the the local spirits. It's paramount is showing respect, and it can be however. It, it doesn't have to be a specific way, but as long as you're showing that that spirit, the respect, and that you're that you're honoring it, um, is going to be extremely beneficial. And and you may you may or may not see the the rewards of it. You you want to think about just like you said, feeling out the vibe of the spirit too. I mean, your guys like wine. My guys seem to respond great to animal fat, and the kobold in my house likes coffee. Uh, you may find that your mileage may differ. It's about establishing a relationship. Try multiple different approaches and, and see what works with you. And what you touched on in terms of respect is the key part. It's easy to think of them as, you know, uh, ghostly animals, which would be entirely wrong. These beings are beings of great power and they are essentially non-human people i mean they're as capable as you are as an individual probably more so doing due to the not having limits of a corporeal form and everything and engaging with them respectfully will go a long way absolutely absolutely yeah and so look the spirits of the place and everything is something that i recently uh decided I needed to work on. I was like, this isn't something that I've done. <laughs> so I actually have sat down and thought about it, did some little processes and actually come up with some uh, localizations for uh, major bodies of water in the area. Like, okay, so this is how this is going to go. Uh, now I'm just trying to figure out where to go from there. Uh, <laughs> So the four that I've come up with are for the Brazos River, uh, Buffalo Bayou, the San Jacinto River, and Lake Houston. Um, so with with the Brazos River, it's what I've envisioned this whole time is a river dragon. Uh, and I just kind of threw these names together and haven't gotten anyone to confirm them. So they may be totally wrong. <laughs> so this is uh, Lugasekia the uh, mud scales literally it means mud hide uh, buffalo bayou i see it as kind of like a catfish is uh and so the name i've gotten there is uh lascona the slow one because uh, so buffalo bayou is a real slow moving river in houston and it's also one of the oldest bodies of water in the state uh <coughs> sorry uh, they estimate it to be like eighteen thousand years old. <laughs> uh, then there's the San Jacinto River. So with the river, it's here's the San Jacinto River. Here's Lake Conroe. I don't remember for sure, but I think it's Lake Conroe. And then from, from there, it actually branches uh, into the east and west branch. 
And so there I've envisioned that as uh, these twin herons, Ari and Ari, east and west, because I'm not a creative at all. <laughs> and uh, Lake Houston, one of the one of the animals you'll find there is a cotton. So all of these animals are native to these areas, obviously except the dragon. But it was too cool a realization to not come to. Uh, uh, there's a cottonmouth in Lake Houston that uh, I've named uh, Altromomeros, the great nourisher, because most of the water used in the city comes from Lake Houston for all sorts of things. Uh, all these bodies of water either have major impacts now, or they are historically important, or they are, yeah, they're either historically important uh, or they have major impacts now. Like the San Jacinto River has a lot of history in Texas. Uh, the Brazos used to be a major uh, commercial and commerce thing, but now it's used mainly for irrigation and uh, I think power as well. I'd have to look up, look that up again, but I don't remember. I do know it's used for irrigation. a lot, though. So it's a big, big part of the food and provision in Texas and what we send around the country. And real quick, because I know I, I know Renataris, you're gonna uh, take us on a wild ride on uh, uh, Swiss uh, water spirits here. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> real, it's gonna be an exciting. So, uh, but, but yeah, uh, so uh, and I mentioned this in the in the end of the episode. Uh, the Spokane River is a spirit that I've worked with, and uh, I have honored, and I actually made an idol for her on my altar. I didn't. I, I didn't bother naming her because I didn't want to step on cultural appropriation with the Spokane tribe uh, <laughs> here. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in the, in the the thing is, spirits of water are, um, as I've learned recently, especially from you, Minotaurus, um, water spirits. <clears throat> excuse me, are um, very. Uh, like pro, I guess I guess profound. Like, uh, and I didn't realize, especially in Swiss folklore, how numerous spirit water spirits are. And like, even uh, we were discussing this the other day. Uh, a lot of the dragon myths of Lucerne, um, they they originate with water. Like uh, uh, storms that lead to floods either come. I, I think herald the arrival of a dragon, um, and, and things like that. It's just like I, I've just. I've noticed how water is a common theme with a lot of these very powerful uh, spirits. So take it away, buddy. Yeah. Well, what you said is very, very true. A lot of the, uh, and it seems that, you know, um, cause Switzerland was, was Christianized very, very early on, even when it was then uh, repaganized by the uh, immigration of the Almani um, from Germany and practically half of the entire country became, <laughs> it was first uh, Etruscan, then Celtic, then uh, Gallo-Roman, then Christian-Roman, then Germanic, and then Germano-Christian, and then ultimately Irish-Catholic until the Christian-Catholics came back. You have a wonderful hodgepodge of stuff, but it seems that even during that time, um, when it was Germanicized, uh, the Christian clergy very much maintained a local presence. So a lot of the, uh, the influence for some telltale signs are, are no longer present like in Scandinavia, but what did survive a lot of times were uh, the myths and legends and what we know about the water spirits in Switzerland. Um, a huge part of my cultus is devoted to water spirits. Water is a place of liminality, but we also know from uh, the worship of such uh, Dewey as like Belenos that it is incredibly healing. Um, 
even deities such as uh, Gobanos, which is a uh, a Helveti uh, smithing deity, chiefly um, the, are have a strong association with water because what is smithing without the water to quench it and the steam that subsequently arises from it. So a huge part of Swiss folklore and pretty much any Celtic country, and for those of you who are listening who don't know, Switzerland, despite its mixed cultural heritage, very much identifies as a Celtic uh, country, despite the fact that um, they have a uh, Roman system of government um, led by a Germanic equivalent of the thing, and they can't decide which one of the four languages is a national language, and they have no opinions about anything whatsoever, um, they do still identify as a, uh, a Celtic uh, nation, at least in principle and ideals, and so just like in, with with Ireland and uh, and you know uh, Scotland and stuff um, in the British Isles, a lot of the myths and legends surround water. Um, one of the chief uh, dewoy in my personal uh, cultus is uh, Renas Pater, um, and I specifically address him by his Roman name, his Gallo-Roman name, instead of his um, Gallic name, uh, Renos, uh, because quite simply, I think it is a wonderful story, um, at least culturally explained through the lens of humans, on how something that may have started out as a very uh, powerful and prominent spirit of the land ended up becoming a full-fledged deity adopted into multiple different pantheons. Um, we know from writing that the Gal, uh, the Gallic tribes up and down the Rhine River revered Renos Pater. We know that they uh, made offerings to him in forms of animals. They would uh, pour in treasure. They would bend and throw away their swords. And there's even accounts that some of the Roman writers write about the uh, the Gaulish tribes there doing essentially what's called a baby-proofing ritual, where they would take newborns and submerge them into the uh, Rhine River in order to... Not now. Not now. I'll talk to you in a second. Not now. Where they would take newborns and, and submerge them into the Rhine River. Um, in order to test whether or not they were made of uh, legitimate uh, marriages. Now, your mileage may vary on that and what you actually believe they were testing them for. Um, but we know that actually the same true of the Germanic tribes that lived near the Rhine River or and the Germano-Celtic further up north as well. They offered, similarly to the Rhine, um, tons of money, tons of loot, hordes, etc. So the Rhine was a very, very important God, but also very highly localized to that specific area. So later on, you have the uh, the Romans come on up, and uh, through interpretatio Romano, you know they of course equate him to Neptune, um, but also the Greek Oceanus and the Greek cult of the uh, Potomoi, which I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of. And so Renus starts receiving a lot of iconography that is uh, true to the Potomoi. And we don't know whether or not that iconography existed before the Romans got there, but we do know that while the German tribes and the Gaulish tribes loved Renus and greatly revered him, it was the Romans that elevated him into a full-fledged pantheon. Um, he was made keeper of the oaths for all the local Gallo-Roman tribes, and there was actually a Roman emperor 
of uh, Belgic birth called Posthumus, who in the year 300 ended up uh, breaking away from the Roman Empire. And this is a great story. You should look it up and ended up forming his own uh, Roman Empire that lasted between 40 and 60 years. Um, and it was, uh, it was basically called the New Belgic uh, Gaulish Roman Empire or something of the equivalent. And uh, Reynos was actually... a ridiculously long name. Mm-hmm, but, and Reynos was actually one of the gods that was revered as part of that pantheon. And we know that from uh, votive inscriptions and uh, his image being printed onto coins. So that does extend to how uh, spirits of the place may start merely as spirits of the place or as Dewoy, but that that position is flexible depending on who you're talking to. It really goes to show that those gods are not so different in scope. Um, just depends on their reach. And the reason I mentioned Reynos and a lot of the other uh, uh, gods in continental Europe that deal with water is because... Uh, we have some of our most uh, important folkloric figures from there. A uh, big one in uh, lower Germany, as well as upper Switzerland, is the mermaid. Now, you may have an image in your head of a mermaid, you know, fishtail and all that part of your world. Um, but the actual uh, cultural description is very, very different. Um, mermaids and mermen, which actually feature far more commonly, are nothing more than beautiful humans who arrive out of the water and there are many different stories but oftentimes it goes like this uh you know there's beautiful maidens in the town square that are spinning silk every day uh, but every night they have to go back to the pond and they they have to enter the pond at precisely a certain amount of time and walk underneath it and in the morning they come back out of the pond um and if they fail to do so uh they die easy as that there's also a story um, that's told in several different cantons about a white bull that escapes a pond or a lake or a river, after which a, uh, a beautiful shepherd boy, although looking very confused, arises, arrives up out of the same water and pond and has to spend his whole day frantically looking for the bull, capture it, and return back underwater. Um, so a lot of these are again, descriptions of spirits of the place and how sometimes things can go a little wonky there too. As mentioned, spirits of place are similar to human beings in that they are non-human human entities. They have they have minds, they have inner lives, uh, just as the Dewoy and the gods do. And sometimes a spirit can break free and it'll have to be reined back in. And a lot of those stories also contain elements of the human interaction. Um, it is said that uh, mermen and human beings can reproduce. Oftentimes they fall in love and get married and either the merman or merwoman will move out of the lake and the pond and live with the human, but they're always destined to return to where they're from because they're not spirits of this place. And uh, if the human being decides to go live with the merman or merwoman, they're very rarely ever seen again. It kind of always spells either eternal happiness or doom for the person. And a lot of those things are representative to how we interact with spirits of the place. We can invite them into our lives. We can work with them closely, but they may not always be here. Uh, the relationship with them comes and goes and you may have a very strong relationship but some spirits come and go as they please and alternatively going into them going to their realm is not something that is sustainable for human beings unless of course we we pass on 
and we go to the great halls or the roots of the world tree or the realm of the gods in the sky, whatever you personally follow. So that's, I think, water is incredibly, incredibly important. We even have uh, stories of people dealing with it, more of a relationship. And some of these are even more modern. There's a story about how uh, in the uh, the Elba River, which is another one of the rivers that was, uh, you know, uh, either always the same deity as uh, as the, the Potomoy cult or uh, just happen to have a lot of overlap. It's a very similar story to what happened with uh, the Rhine River. But there was a city that was attempting to lay pipes um, through the river. They wanted a you know irrigation system, sewage, and all that. And they had spotted several beautiful young naked maidens out in the water. And they're like, "Oh, that's that's weird. We don't <laughs> normally see that." And the maidens start appearing more and more frequently. The more the construction of the pipes went into, you know, this was done very callously. It was done, you know, for the for the people, the benefit of man. They put those pipes on there, so the legend goes, and they dropped them into the lake, to which the water started writhing and boiling, and a large naked man arose, you know, hair flowing down, and he seized up the pipes with his hands and threw them out of the water, to which they, of course, stopped the build immediately. And took another route for those. And it's like this isn't a good idea. No, not at all. Because the spirits of the place, they need to be first and foremost approached with respect. And if you are going to lay pipe right through their uh, their place, you're you're going to upset them. I mean, and and civilizations make that mistake from time to time again. We just keep invading nature and overriding the the space and the things that already live there and and some people live in great harmony with that i mean this even brings me back to that whole keystone pipeline thing from a few years ago i mean the first nations tribes that live there they have harmony they have understanding they have history with the land there and although their worldview is different than ours um they have a they have a deep understanding and an established relationship with that place and then some big oil baron or whatnot wants to come through and just lay this thing right through the middle of a land that they don't respect and that they have no business being in because they have not made any proper attempt to become friendly with the spirits of this place and uh last i heard that uh, that pipeline is uh, out of commission because it did not work i mean it yeah, was that damaged and everything i don't think the spirits of the place appreciated that Oh, and that's uh, not to get too political, but uh, that that's something we can definitely see with like climate change. Is like is a lot of these, uh, you know, companies and whatnot are just not respecting the land at all. They're just taking the resources and throwing trash everywhere, and we can see it affecting you know the world around us, whether localized or global. And clearly, the spirits are pissed off and. Uh, but yeah, that the the Keystone Pipeline and some of the, a lot of these other like just horrible, horrible, uh, uh, just flat out insults to nature or um, or I mean anyone could you could look at it and say that yeah we're we're doing some we're doing some messed up things that are uh, pissing off the the, the, the localized spirits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially especially not to come back on the water train, but look at our oceans, you know. How are we approaching the oceans with respect? Are we doing that? Is that going to upset somebody somewhere? Probably. And oh, yeah. it's just, you know, in a, in a lot of, uh, it, it's easy for people to not want their religion to become 
political or to cause course or, or strife, but being in harmony with the land spirits is, is a cornerstone of you know a lot of polytheistic faiths, um, especially you know being a being a Gaulish polytheist, but also if you subscribe to uh, you know a, a heathen background or even one of the more modern neo pagan interpretations such as Wicca, nature is to be respected. It's part of it, and you can't not acknowledge it. I don't think we have the luxury to sit by and say, well, I don't want my religion to, to cause discourse. Uh, it used, I think in our modern interpretation, we are all very much focused on the relationship between us and the gods, but what has a more immediate impact on our everyday life is the relationship between us and the spirits we come in contact with every day. Um, is it more pertinent for me to make an offering to uh you know uh gobanos or is it more pertinent for me to uh pick up the trash at the park i visit every saturday with my daughter to feed the ducks um because that park the spirits that live in that park um have far more bearing on my life in a day-to-day -day capacity than uh than gobanos does and and i love gobanos so guys sitting on my brain all the time but from a day-to-day -day perspective that almost takes precedent. And I think that, like you said earlier, Renhunt, that's something that is hard for a lot of us. And I struggle with it too. It's very, very hard for us because it's easy for us to understand and, and be in harmony with, with the gods because the concept of a god is something we're at least passingly familiar with. But the concept of other non-human entities that live <laughs> among us is something a little bit out there. And so that's always harder for us to reach. And I feel all of us um, have to struggle with that to a certain degree. Um, some probably more, some people who may be more on this path for longer or take a different approach may find it a lot easier. Yeah, it's always yeah, been the, like the uh, big, big spot that I've struggled with is getting that. So that's, uh, so talking to Aggie actually from, uh, from MB really helped me get started on doing that. Uh, you were going to say something, Articap. Sorry. Oh, well, to, well, real quick to touch on that. Uh, Aggie was someone that was uh, going to be on the podcast today, but unfortunately, uh, schedule wise, wouldn't work out. But we will have uh, Aggie on here in a future episode to talk about the, uh, his experience. Um, it sounds it's, really it cool. is, it's a but, good um, one. To, He's such a good guy to go through, oh, go uh, to for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I can't wait to talk to the guy. Um, but while you're all about water in Artaris, um, mountains are more my thing. And uh, when, I, when I wrote the articles on uh, Paninos and Alpes, uh, something I kept driving again and again and again is you, like, especially because I used to live in the mountain, like the, Sel the Selkirk Mountains over in Idaho. And uh, when you live in, in a mountainous area, you have to respect the mountain. You, like, you cannot tame it. And if, if, it want, if it wants to squish you, it will squish you. So, <laughs> you know physically at times or uh symbolically but like you have to be aware of the the seasons you have to be aware of the, the how the land is around you oh you know the the snow's coming early we need to start stocking up on stuff in case uh it's ever gonna be a really bad winter so but it's that it's that something we've talked about earlier it's that constant respect and treating the land treating the land properly treating it with respect and honoring that the, the spirit, whether it's the, the lakes, the rivers, 
the valleys, the the mountains. Uh, it's it's all about that respect, and I think that, and that's why I, I said earlier, it's it's paramount to working with spirits is respect. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, couldn't agree well, more. Uh, uh, well, I think we've really. <laughs> Uh, went over all that so I think it is time to go over the very first uh, Sinobesis Bolgon um, uh, virtue uh, let me pull up the site and it's a good thing I have both you guys here because you guys are more familiar with it than I am so. this is true I'm also pulling up the site to reread it <laughs> <laughs> I have the show notes in front of me so I don't have to do that I also had the show notes but there's more info on it on the website yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Did I delete that tab already? I have so many tabs on my phone. Um, my fiance was looking through my phone one time. She saw how many tabs I have pulled up in Chrome, and like it blew her mind. She's like, "How? How do you have thirty-six tabs on your phone?" It's, it's all so. It's all I've, research. I've I've got like twelve, and then some of those have like sub tabs. Because now you can open tabs in groups. <laughs> yeah. So I've got like 12 groups with some of them having like five or six open. Yep, same. Yeah, I discovered the sub tabs. And so there's there's tabs within. It's it's uh, tabception. There's tabs within tabs within tabs. I love that. Made my life so much more organized. <laughs> and just as, but just as chaotic. It, it, <laughs> it's really weird uh, dynamic there. <laughs> ah crap I can't click the wrong one alright anyway but um, <clears throat> so it's uh, so Cenobestus Bolgon is the uh, is uh, Selgawiros uh, who we had on here last time uh, it's uh, uh, part of his it's not tribal it's more of a regional because it's, it's several tribes within the region that is now um, Belgium uh, am I correct there so it was more the region that was Gallia, Belgium. So that's Belgium and probably, if I remember right, some other areas as well, uh, reaching out to the... You, you want to think of uh, pretty much everything um, on the Rhine, everything from, Col- from Köln or Colony, everything up to the uh, Rhine Delta and then left, I think. Very much okay. the border territory on... Um, Germany and France, and then you know also modern day Belgium. Gotcha, gotcha. See, I um, if I'm want to misrepresent Selk. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, Selg, Selg, don't, don't take our sorry. word on that. Yeah. Yeah. Take take the two the two lowest common denominators that are part of that tradition. Take our us. best guess at that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we um, in a couple months or so, we're going to actually start going over the different traditions, and we'll, we we will have an episode for um, Cenobesis Bulgan, and we will definitely be more read up by then. <clears throat> but anyway, so uh, on his site, uh, the. Uh, for, very first virtue is uh, um, fear or um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head uh, fear or worship of the day warrior basically piety mm-hmm. um, so uh, uh, in the in the because in, in that context because it's a very um, if I remember right looking over the other virtues it's a very um, warrior like uh, viewpoint uh, in the uh, of the Belgoy 
Mm-hmm. So um, this is a big the part of thing, it. The only thing to fear is yeah. So the only thing to fear is the is the day warrior. If I'm if I'm understanding that correctly. See, and I think that we're we're using fear the wrong way there because we shouldn't be be afraid. It's just I, uh, I probably am. Yeah. I, I think yeah, what's, it's what's like probably, when Christians say God fearing people. Probably you know? more apt and and what I love about Sugiwaros is that he has yes child. I'll make you pancakes yeah, in a second. I, I, Give me like 15 more minutes while I talk to my friends online. Okay? I'll oh, make you pancakes in a second. So Go get some candy. You can have some candy. Pancakes that buys seven. you some candy. <laughs> I haven't had pancakes in forever. Go get but some yes, candy. I, I, I'll pancakes do sound really good right now. I'm bribing her with candy right now. Mix? <laughs> no, 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 no. My wife, my <laughs> wife makes the pancake mix. She's very great at what she does. Um, nice. So, you, uh, real quick, sorry, yes, I, I, I did use – I did. Yeah, so I, I did use fear incorrectly. That's not the word I wanted to use, so sorry about that. Yeah, anyway, so no I've actually got it pulled up right here. So what it says is it's like fear slash be in awe of the gods slash be pious. So basically, it's it's what it says is we don't work with the gods. It's, we it's love the, them and as such. Yeah, it's it's the same thing that uh, that you were talking about this whole podcast, Ardo, is the the respect, the healthy admiration and respect of gods. There was no way that I would uh, mistreat one under the uh, any god under the MB banner because that is not at all how it works. Um, a huge part of it, and like I was saying earlier, Sogueros has done a great job. He's a brilliant visual artist, and he has done a great job of depicting a lot of the Dewey. Uh, in this very specific, almost uh, animalistic ca- caveman style, and they all have this very eldritch um, take on them. And you know, this is just a personal interpretation, but it communicates um, the MB version of God so well that we love and adore and respect them. But oh, marshmallows, good choice. There is a healthy fear as well in terms of their power that they are not to be taken lightly. Um, in that regard right. and as such we worship them because they are strong and because they are wonderful leaders and example and you wouldn't cross them because they are powerful and that is a probably not a terribly smart choice to do it's yeah, normally not wise to do that no it's not and i actually have a great story to help support that so uh back in the early days of my of my path um I was on Discord in a Druid group, and we were just kind of, we were just kind of hanging out, just kind of talking. And uh, I made a joke about Thor, and um, yeah, uh, about a week or so later, that person's house got struck by lightning, and I felt so bad. So I do not make jokes. I I believe that the the gods at the Dewoy uh, have they have a sense of humor. But they do not like being the butt of jokes, so that that again falls under the um, the respect factor. No, I have a, I have a similar thing. I oftentimes joke that uh, I don't get along with the ocean, um, but in all reality, that is 110 percent due to my own fault. There was a severe flooding in Houston two years ago up by where I live, and and out of desperation, <laughs> I, I you know I I was still uh, I was still very much on the Norse path, and out of desperation, I had called out to Njorder, Um to help stave off the flood and, and everything worked out. And I had made certain promises that I would fulfill within a given time frame, and then I failed to do so. And let me tell you that my life became unpleasant. Traveling 
was hard. Um, I lost two cars um, to spontaneous engine combustion. And for someone who's very much concerned with traveling, mostly maritime, that still did seem to uh, fit in there. The amount of uh, uh, sprinkles and showers I was caught in were quite frequently. Um, There was water damage in my house. So everything kind of lined up and I had to go to severe lengths to double and triple a, you know, first of all, fulfill and then apologize and then to promise that we're cool now. So they took, it took a lot of extra legwork. And uh, I feel like I learned that principle on firsthand. And I would still say that to this day, I have become very uh, cautious of approaching, um, not water deities obviously because that's my main thing but but nord specifically even though i no longer follow that path i I still feel an incredible sense of 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 guilt when i uh when i see the name or when it comes up in conversation because that was somewhere where i had missteps that could end up very very poorly for somebody who does similarly so piety in that regard is very very important skid must be a fun place for you Oh, love Skid. Skid is great. <laughs> like I said, I love Nord. I feel like the bad guy every time it comes up. Yeah, I still feel guilty about that. That um, my friend, like, because it wasn't my house that got hit by lightning. It was the person I told the joke to's house that got hit by lightning. I was like, oh, it, just, it made it that much worse. I, I'm like, like, oh, hey. it's like, it, it, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, like, am I the asshole like, like here? A, <laughs> uh, it, I, I know. I felt, I felt so bad because I got a message from them like almost a week to the day. And I was like, can you not make jokes about Thor anymore? Because our house just got hit by lightning and part of our roof is gone now. Like, yep. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I, I the, later that night, I, I actually made like, a, I did like a little mini ritual to try to apologize to Thor. And I, I think we're, I think we're good now. So yeah, I don't, I do not make jokes of the gods anymore. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah, that's, that that's you know that's out of, and there's there's one thing if you're you know joking about some strange passage in the Eddas and you're just like ah oh, that's that's funny or just like hey remember when that Roman emperor declared war upon the ocean itself and they all stabbed the ocean that's pretty funny, but if you're gonna sit there and be unpious you know uh, disregard or disrespect your own gods or even gods of of uh, that you may not you know, worship or give reverence to, that's not a good idea. That's not how you do things. I mean, part of being a, a quote unquote, a good polytheist is despite the fact that I am, you know, Almanic and Helvetian and Belgian more than anything. Uh, if I were to, you know, stand outside and just rip on Anubis to a, a crowd full of people, I can guarantee things wouldn't pan out very well for me. That respect is is due because of the power they hold, even if they're not personally involved in our lives very much. It's the same thing where I wouldn't insult somebody that I don't know to, you know, a crowd of people. That's bad form. That's a great point is that real quick. That's a, that's a great point is that just because you don't follow a certain deity does not mean you get to make jokes about them because it's, you still like, you still have to respect the, um, all the gods, all the day away. Um, like, I mean, just because you're not a follower of, you know, Vendetus or uh, Gobanos or, you know, Tyrannus, it doesn't mean you get to uh, you get to disrespect them. They are listening. They are watching. So it's better to just, you don't have, you know, you, you guys get what I'm saying. Sorry, my brain yeah, kind sure. of went off the rails there. 
And then the other side of piety is that there is the respect there, but there is also the practice of piety. You have to actually do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, for the longest time, all I did was sit there, write things down and go, yeah, this seems like really good stuff that I'm going to do. And then never did it. (laughs) So it's just theory crafting at that point, which Mm -hmm. I love doing. There's nothing wrong with doing. But at a certain point, you have to actually put it into practice. Otherwise, otherwise you're just an observer. Exactly, yeah. And that's something I struggle with too, especially, especially with writing articles. I'll, I'll start them, I'll have a page, and I'll have the title, and then I just never get around to it until like a month or so later. So anyone that follows my blog knows that's, that's why it takes me so long to write things down because I'll start them oh, and I same. just never finish them. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, signed up to do a to do a presentation at an upcoming conference i talked to you guys about it i nothing's nothing's planned. <laughs> like i have the general plan i'm just waiting to see if i get accepted to actually do the to actually get it all written out planned plan like the plan is there i've got it in my head <laughs> i just kind of put it down if it's yeah. gonna happen <laughs> Which either way, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna pigeonhole that if it doesn't, because it's a really good thing for the next comrade in TGA. So you're gonna figure out whether you're accepted or not to figure out whether or not you're gonna start work on it now or later. Yes, I am exactly basically the same just way. just just a timing <laughs> thing because yep. this is gonna get done, it's gonna happen, and I'm gonna present it somewhere. Now I just gotta figure out if it's sooner or later. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's easy for us to say. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I uh, I love and respect the Daywoy, and and I follow them. But there's a big difference between actively participating and giving reverence to to just liking something. That's what sets you apart. I mean, you know, if if Rin, if you come over to my house and we hang out and you know we we barbecue or something and we share stories and that happens several times, then one can safely assume that we're friends. Right. If I follow you on social media and like all your things and tweet at you, or better said, not tweet at you, I just retweet your tweets. If there's no interaction be- between us, then there, you know, it's safe to say I'm a fan. I you could even go as far to say I love you, but there is no genuine friendship between the two people that's part of it you have to give and interact it's you know what in heathenry is commonly termed the gifting cycle um but i know that uh and and Arto help me out because i know there's a gaulish word for it too which i struggle with it's it's like the circle of gifting or it's it's very similar concept it's like cantless roddy or something i actually have an article on it requires an exchange thereof you cannot be in a relationship with someone or something without it being a relationship a give and a take exactly yeah uh i don't i don't remember the word off the top of my head but it's somewhere in my phone and that's just that's just how it's that's how it is it's on my website i swear (laughs) (laughs) well um before we sign off here uh is there anything like a social medias or any kind of projects you guys want to promote like uh i think uh Rinhun, don't you have a, a a wordpress or a blog or something i do it's uh it's nimaton it's uh 
it's just me talking about my Franco-Belgic heathenry. It's it's interesting. Uh, right now, it's a little bare bones because uh, I just restarted my website. I had the old one. Uh, wouldn't let me change some things that I wanted to. So, Cantos uh, Roddy, the circle of gifting. Nice. Found it. Um, yeah, so it's just me talking. I've only got, I think, like two posts up there. One was just, all right, cool, new beginnings. And the other one was on a, a college goddess, Brick Duck. And how I can view her as very similar to both Akessa, one of the daughters of Asclepius, the Greek god of medicine, mainly. I know there's some other associations there. Uh, and if you go to TFA, his name is Ascula. Uh, he's the god of medicine, of healing, and uh, of the word scam, the holy feasts that you do. Super cool concept. Love it. Uh, and then also uh, Hecate, Hecate. I don't really know exactly how you're supposed to pronounce that one because there's Sabrina I, and then there's everything else that I've ever heard. And so it's like, I don't know. Not to get off yeah, on a side tangent because I know we're closing out and we're plugging stuff. In the life before this one, I was an actor and I actually got the audition to be Harvey in that TV show. Now, obviously, they went with someone, you know, different, <clears throat> not as good, <laughs> but in another life that could have been me so and i could have told them the proper pronunciation if that makes you what is the proper pronunciation i don't know i have no idea it might have helped them with that last <laughs> season of theirs too i haven't watched the last season so don't just shh, i'm working on it I saw bit, in season I three saw bit, stop it i saw bits and pieces that's all i'm gonna say yeah someone who's read right. hb lovecraft once i was like yeah that's not it folks All right, yeah. I, I think we can <laughs> I think we can call it a day on that.